Christopher Kassan, and this is Ireland's Edge. On this episode, we explore the past, present and future of spoken word poetry in Ireland through performance and conversation with two of its most exciting and original practitioners. Later in the programme, we'll be hearing performance and thoughts from the Limerick rapper and spoken word artist Shane Davis. But first, Felicia Olusanya, known as Feli Speaks, is changing the face of poetry in Ireland. A Nigerian-Irish poet from Longford, she began performing at poetry slams while a student in Maynooth, where she now lives. Her work confronts issues of identity, race, gender and more in a strikingly individual style. Her poem, For Our Mothers, will be featured on the Leaving Cert curriculum from 2023. And last year, she was commissioned by RTE Television to write and perform her poem, Still, a reflection on Ireland's experience of the COVID-19 pandemic. I spoke to Felicia by video call, but first let's listen to her performance from Ireland's Edge in Dingle. This is They. They. They tried to. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds with shoots. We came from lands rich in soil, we've got roots. They didn't know our people cannot be afraid of the dark they fear. Absorbing light to grow skin as thick as bark, as smooth as warm tarmac. They, they tried to. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we can't be contained. They didn't know our bellies could convulse with laughter, clapping seal-like at the volcano of chuckles, hacking away at the neck of our throats. They didn't know we could launch forward in unison and have gravity catch this fade, yo. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we couldn't die in silence. They didn't know we couldn't come and go with ease. They didn't know our first mother made a deal with death, that she broke everything open with the black boy. She wet land with his blood and water first. She fed it and made covenant. Let there be life. They didn't know our lives and deaths would make earth remember. They tried to bury us. But I didn't know we were sound itself, there for each a stunning beat, there for each a music replicated by them. They didn't know we've spat out their oppression in song, in dance, in rhythm, in blues. They didn't know that our limbs have tasted and tested the freedom that is ours. They didn't know it's going to be all right. Started with several head nods, a fist and a frown. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we could do more than survive. They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Felicia, thank you so much for the wonderful performance of They in Dingle. And uh, I know that They is part of a short film that you made with the Dublin rapper and poet Jafaris that explores uh, issues of identity in Ireland. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the piece. Oh, yes. Um, Thank you for having me. Uh, Absolutely a pleasure. Um, The inspiration behind They, I wrote They in the summer of 2019. Um, It was in the middle of the Black Lives Matter protests. And I think it was the first times during Black Lives Matter as a movement that it really hit Ireland and hit Ireland by storm. I think the country was quiet enough to listen and it was still enough that the issue was pretty much in our faces. And I think um, the summer consisted of us just really discussing and analyzing where um, racism lies in, you know, 
in our Irishness in, in our society and how we mask it um, in kind of like the institutions that it's, that basically shows this, this flaw and this problem and this cancer. Um, and we have a lot of discussion about direct provision. There's a lot of discussion about um, microaggressions and whether um, racism as a conversation applies to Ireland institutionally. So I think I was thinking a lot about those issues and how it applies to us here um, and really, really um, took inspiration from a European poet um, who was a gay writer from um, Greece and his piece, um, they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. That line was inspired by him. And he wrote this as kind of like a protest against, you know, um, the, the community he was currently living in because they weren't very accepting of his gayness. And um, they, for, for some reason, thought him being queer or being different would affect his creativity. And so I kind of, and over the years, over um, decades, that line has been kind of used as a call to action um, as well as an observation, um, you know, an emotional piece to kind of shake the public about a, a particular issue or an injustice. And I, I suppose I was the one of the many that borrowed that line in order to kind of highlight the injustice that was going on as just Black people in general and further kind of shed the light on how racism can really be um, insufferable reality for Black Irish people in Ireland, whether we are comfortable with the reality or not. That's really interesting what you say about last year during the lockdown, Ireland maybe being quiet enough or still enough to listen to a message like that. Because I guess in Ireland, there's always this kind of weird dichotomy between the fact that we are have been predominantly a white society that were involved in the British Empire for a long time, but we were also a colonised society. And yeah. there often have been discussions about racism in Ireland that focus very much on it as a problem that exists in other countries, like yeah. it exists in America or exists in Britain. Um, and last year, there did seem to be a bit of a shift in that. And I wonder, from your perspective as a Black artist, what do you think, do you think that that debate is changing in a positive way, in a negative way, or do you think that we're just seeing an evolution of people becoming more aware of the fact that these issues of race that exist in Ireland are part of something that is much bigger um, than just a domestic issue? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're finally getting a moment where people are realising and that, you know, racism applies here and it is a problem that we have here. And I think we're in a space where we're like acknowledging and we're like, okay, let's have the conversation. Um, I think... Um, Painfully so, though, is that the reality is that there's a lot of sort of pressure and onus on Black artists or Black people in general to do a lot of educating on what racism is, and not just on what racism is, but to validate that racism exists by purging and discussing and repeatedly opening up about the abuse that you've had um, from a racist um, and I find that really interesting. And I suppose because the conversation is quite new um, in Ireland, unfortunately, and we are quite behind in the racism conversation. Um, so we're getting the opportunity to discuss it. But I think we we really need to start focusing on the idea that it can't just be Black people um, explaining what racism is, considering we are um, sufferers of it rather than like the pioneers of it. You know, I can't. It's interesting to ask, I think it's a weird thing to ask, um, for lack of a better word, the oppressed or the victim of a situation 
to explain the situation um, over and over again, rather than like make it everybody's problem. Um, so I f I'm finding a lot of that recently where, you know, I get invited to come on a show and be like, oh, have you experienced racism? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> just know that black people experience racism. And like, I think it's interesting that even though black people didn't invent racism, it seems that we are for some reason now the ones to explain it. It's <laughs> If you think about it quite logically, it's it's absurd. And I think um, we need to start, um, sh stop shying away from the idea that we are like, quite racist or that we do racist things or that you know we a lot of things that we learned and didn't realize um was insulting our microaggressions you know and I think if if we get into a place where people admit that oh you know what maybe I am racist and I didn't know I picked up those things or maybe I do racist things and I didn't realize that I've um I've learned this from society and I have biases. I think once we start admitting that being called a racist is not scarier than somebody experiencing racism, you can get over yourself and really start having the conversations amongst white Irish people. Because, I mean, we know, like, Black people already know what racism is, you know? And, um, and I really think to reduce the onus on, like, you know, Black artists, specifically being the ones to explain it. I think also understanding the parameters in which it is healthy to have the discussion is realizing that there's so many black people that are actually um, that actually that actually study the field of like teaching and explaining and exploring this. So not every black person is equipped to discuss racism purely because they are black. I think those are some of the nuances that we need to start inviting into the conversation. Um, and I hope I'm making sense. Absolutely, yeah. And I wonder, does that frustrate you as a poet and an artist that, I mean, you're a black woman, but you're also a poet and an artist from Longford. And yeah. yet, it is often probably, as you, as you said, expected that your work or your public appearances are going to focus on issues of race, whereas your work in, focuses on all sorts of different things in different works that you've done. Like, is that frustrating that sometimes you like are expected to speak to kind of one issue in a kind of as if that's your responsibility type of way, rather than that you might in your work explore all sorts of other issues as a black woman, a Longford woman, you know, yeah. a queer woman, an Irish woman of a certain generation and so on. Like there are all sorts of parts of your identity that could lead to different kinds of, of work. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, during the summer that I did write this piece because it's part, it's part of my identity. So obviously I can't get away from writing things from the perspective of a black queer woman. Um, so obviously I do touch on race, but I think it was really wild that last year being an artist that um talks about all kinds of things that applies to my identity having an influx of emails and you know please speak on behalf of the black people <laughs> um was a little uncomfortable because I didn't want to be the spokesperson for blackness I didn't want to be um the spokesperson in explaining racism so I had to actually curtail a lot of like and swerve a lot of interviews because it started becoming a you explain how to, for how we can be better and I'm like what I'm I'm literally a poet and another thing actually was that I also started getting called an activist <laughs> I was like I didn't realize that caring made me radical 
and that was something I was really battling with. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that caring about uh, like blackness and caring about um, equality and caring about being treated right meant that I would be regarded as an activist, which is really interesting um, because I think an activist's role requires more than being a spokesperson and requires more than um, highlighting awareness because I think there's a lot of background work to do with being an activist. There's active um, community engagement repeatedly on that basis or on on the topic that of discussion um and i don't have the emotional bandwidth to be actively and continuously engaged in community discourse on race that that isn't linked to my work <laughs> um that was another thing like it started be, becoming a oh come and talk to us about race but you know you don't have to say a poem I'm like no no <laughs> I'm a poet first. <laughs> like behave. Um, so so as, I mean, as a as a poet, like, what do you think about the importance of your art in terms of? Because, like, you talked about the, the way that it can be sometimes reductively assumed that you know you can come and do a poem about race, and that's like speaking out on the issue of race. But obviously, poetry is a much more varied art than just speaking out on single issues. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about the role of poetry in Ireland today? Like, do you think that it's obviously poetry is a very ancient part of our culture. Do you think that poetry has the respect that it deserves in Irish culture today? Or do you think that we've kind of gotten away a little bit from understanding like the, the huge variety of, of, of things that poetry can speak to? Um, I think, I think we might have forgotten a little bit and, and that's normal because of how modern society um, evolves. And that I know from, just how much I try and study words and history of poetry and stuff like that, that I think a lot of people in the society, as well as poets themselves, forget the function of a poet uh, and forget the importance of a poet in society. So a, a poet isn't just somebody that writes nice things and, you know, they have great bars and it's fun and stuff like that. I mean, a poet is an important member of the society and important member of the community because they actively are reflecting. Uh, they're basically the, the society's mirror. They're the community's mirror. They're, their work is to engage in what the community is doing and the society is doing and reflect it back to them. Um, not in a judgmental way, but for discourse, for um, awareness, for um, record keeping, for history collecting, that those are the functions of a poet. You're supposed to um, not just discuss what's happening, but you're supposed to reflect it back to the society and also give them something to chew on. Um, you're, you're to mark, you're to mark records. Um, I think I think it's a really important thing to remember that poets mark records and they keep account, and also they. Um, I, I think it reminds me of like back in the day as well. Um, the olden way of people poeting from what I remember West, like I'm West African. So from like West African history, it's a lot of like, they, what a poet originally does, a bard, they would um, announce basically what the King's um, ideas are, the thoughts, the the things that are moving on in the society. They, they pass on the message across the community. Like you, do you know what I mean? So there's a lot of um, coming from the top down, so the poet is nearly a medium of information, a collector of information. So there's loads of things that a poet is responsible for in those ways. And I think the importance and the function of it has obviously reduced as time has gone on. But I think if, if we remember what a poet is supposed to do, we are able to 
um, respect them even more. But currently, I think right now we probably have lost our way. And now it's more um, slightly more entertainment value, um, which is a little sad, but like understandable because the world has been overrun by TikTok, you know, <laughs> TikTok Gen Zers. And so we kind of have to make them laugh a little bit. And I think the role of a poet um, inevitably will have to adjust and change. But I think if we start going back to what the function of a poet is, we can regain the respect, you know? I mean, yeah. and I, I wonder, like, because I was thinking um, that one of your poems is now on the Leaving Cert syllabus, I believe, which yes. is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and it, it, when I learned that, it made me think about what the Leaving Cert poetry syllabus was like when I was doing the Leaving Cert, which is mm-hmm. probably longer ago now than I would want to admit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, that is a it's a very in-depth course. Um, and always has been because it's a big part of the leaving sort exam and you learn things off by rote and all this kind of stuff. But there was, there was a big emphasis on, you know, learning to answer an exam question. So, you know, people would do five of the eight poets or whatever to make sure that mathematically one would definitely come up and stuff. And that always felt to me kind of a bit instrumentalist about poetry. There's something that is, you know, that is about performance that, as you say, holds up a mirror, but is also a medium of communication. And I wonder, do you think that, you know, obviously it's amazing that your poem is now going to be on the leaving cert. Do you think that that is somewhere that we need to focus in terms of changing people's perceptions of poetry amongst young people, that sometimes it is something that they're just like, oh, I can't believe I have to learn this off. Whereas it can be something that is much more engaging. Yeah, I think um, apart from preparing um, exam questions solely, I think letting them even engage in what like it brings up in their mind and helping them associate. So like one of the things I do in my workshops that I absolutely love is um, word association games. So even when you're presented with a poem in class and you're to engage with this, I think a way of engaging with something is find like getting the students to find ways of associating it themselves whether with something that is personally in their lives an object so if you have something that you have to go home and bring an object in relation to a tangible item you know making it more tangible I think one of the things that is exciting about spoken word is that if it nearly makes the poem on the page kind of lift you know um so I think giving the students the same kind of um feeling that they're they're feeling the poem come alive. So giving them textures to play with that associates with the words, I think will be important because I think we we're so, we underestimate how much our senses need to be stimulated in order to not just be entertained, but to understand and, and receive. Because I think the best part of being a performance poet is that not only are they hearing my sound, but um, if I wanted to put a smell into the room to associate with it or invoke a smell through description, you know, depending on the room that we're in, all of those senses are coming into play. Their eyes are coming into play because I'm moving. Um, So basically I think the general shift that has currently happened, which is going from poetry and page poetry to a lot of spoken word, I think in the classroom, we need to bring the same movement to the students. And I think they connect, they will connect to the poems slightly differently and it'll be more engaging. That's a really inspiring note to finish on about the power of poetry. So Felicia, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your performance with us and best of luck for the rest of the year. Thank you so much, Chris. As Felicia mentioned, spoken word poetry is one of the most ancient art forms, and it was particularly important in ancient Irish oral culture. 
the Limerick hip-hop artist Shane Davis, who performs as Dirt, has explored how rap can offer a new way of exploring ancient Irish myths and legends. I spoke to Shane via video call, but first, let's listen to his performance at Ireland's Edge in Dingle. This is Unfilla. Hello, everybody. Um, the piece I'm going to be doing tonight is a story of the god of Irish poetry, Ogma, and his last day during a battle that took place between the two of Danon and the Fomorians. Now, Ogma had been a man, but since he died, he was elevated to the status of a god. And it was the god of Irish poetry because it was said his words could inspire 10,000 men to battle because that's what he had done. He had gotten the two of Danon to finally rebel against their own slavers, the Fomorians. But they were apprehensive about going to war with him. They didn't think they could win. So they asked him to make him a promise of something that he would do, that he would guarantee they would get something from it and not all be wiped out. So he said, I promise I will kill their king, Indesh. Indesh was someone they wanted dead very badly, so they went along with it. And he did kill Indesh, but he was mortally wounded in the process of killing him. And he died on the battlefield. So this is the story of basically his last day as a man and his transcendence and a deal he makes somewhere else after this world. So it goes like this. I awake where the sheep graze, laid at a tree's base, to the sound of a soft breeze, making the leaves sway, laid on my back, gaze as the clouds change and then reshape, painting a scene hazy with deep shades of a dream state. And above in those silhouettes, I see a struggle to feel free. Hundreds of children dead and mothers with real grief. Puddles that shimmer red, a murderous scheme seen to none of us getting fed as plundering fiends siege men of the sea. No lovers of free will, crushing what we built. The blood of the free spills as colourful leaves wilt. These troubling scenes swill till it suddenly seems real and I find myself stood in the mud of a green field where I used to carry bales of my day-to-day forest choppings to swap for coppers as pay and went, ate my porridge off it. Now I'm carrying a blade with the weight of a promise on it. I'm not a novice. My dangerous name is just common knowledge, Ogma. Save me a place on your chopping block because I'm not going to stop. I'm prepared. I don't care what the prophet saw. I'm a proper warrior. Scoff as I traipse over top of bodies. I'll not be sorry. I came here today just to drop for Maurice. And so, as his soul let its wings span, this man took the sword from their king's hand to think that. Then his sword gave a whisper that rose upon the wind, tones of 
Irish old that told me to lean in, said her name was Orna, spoke to me of when, back when she was youthful, loving bones beneath the skin, back when she knew beauty, love, loneliness and kin. She swore an oath of Irish magic in devotion to her kin, so she told me, not to worry, you just hold me and we'll win, cause Ogma, I am yours now, know that when you swing. Here before the four more, more than just a thing, a mold of iron ore, but more, she bore a soul within. She'd seen it all before, been snoring, bored of every kill, but she reawoke the day she saw a poet floor a king. So I said, I need your help. I need to know if we can win, because I too swore an oath of pure devotion to my kin, so that when this day was over, all our foes lay bleeding, and the two a day will never bow or fold the knee again. She said, Listen closely. He of jiggery pokery is close to waking now, so I give you mystic poetry. The two a day will die within the shadow of the goat king if you allow the gaze of old Balor's eye and opening that old Fomori king whose evil gaze will sweep the land, increasing your decease till he's erased the seed of man. His reach is far and wide. His seat, a throne of demon clan built upon the bones of those we know as ye of Dan. Then an ancient incantation rose within the sword and showed my mind a place to find the stone to win the war. And when I looked within my palm, that stone was in it, so I gave the stone to Log and told him, aim to kill Balor. And then he fired. The Fomori king is dead. The two were dead and gave a roar. And as I lay upon the floor, bleeding, fading, I was torn between the world of man and shades of tyranny and og, debating should I stay or should I change into a ghost, take my place in ancient Ireland's history, labelled as a poet, labelled as a warrior that paved the way for more, I thought, no, it's okay, today's the day to go. Let them sing their songs about how they saw a hero fall, because in time it won't matter, it'll be like none of us were ever here at all. So there I was, dead. And you know they say, death is a ladder that either brings you up or down. I say, that's just something that they say because they know what scares you. Because I'll let you in on a little secret. Death leads to a hilltop in Nakfirna. Now I know what you're thinking. Not fear now. Strange place for the departed, right? Yeah. Not quite what I had in mind. Being stood on a hilltop overlooking the Shannon side, patting myself down thinking, maybe I hadn't died. But dead I was. And then I heard that fella's voice. Ogma! Welcome to the afterlife that was down, the god of the dead. The only thing matching his craving to trap mankind in his cave on the Shannon side was the mad fool's insatiable taste for some Spanish wine. Are you coming in for a drink? He said as he cracked a smile, flashing a set of nashers that looked like the rotten type. He looked like the sort of guy that had robbed the eye out of your head for the price of another pint, giving off those major alcoholic vibes. So I said, nah, you go on there yourself. I'm going to hang back for another while. I'm kind of still coming to terms with the fact that I'm not alive. 
He said, what you mean you'll not imbibe? So you're stuck here for the longest time. Don't be giving me that at all. Come in and drink with me, Ogmer boy. I thought, you know what? Fuck it. He's right. I said, go on, sir. Sure, I may as well have a point if only to pass the time. He said, oh, we've no points here. We only serve Spanish wine. I thought this is going to be a long few millennia. But I went into the cave anyway. No sooner in the cave than it began to change in dramatic style. The floor beneath my feet became paved in some marble tiles. White halls lit up with the flame of a candlelight with paintings on either side and frames that were hanging high. I said, what's going on in here? He said, oh, I live in a palace, boy. All that cave stuff is just a disguise to hide from unmagic eyes. Now follow me on. I'm thirsty and I want you to meet the boys. So I followed him into this massive, lavish room. Same crack as the hall, all paintings and candles too. Big, long table in the middle, stretching as far as the eye could view, with people sitting on either side, and everyone had a stool. He walks in, Cunis, Cunis, I have a bit of news. This fella here just died from his battle wounds. His name's Ogma, and he'll be joining this afternoon. Then he walked me to the bar, bought me a glass of booze, brought me round talking to all of the lads he knew. Had me shaking hands and crack. You know the way fellas do after they've had a few. Then he pulls me to the side, said, Ogma, I have a new fella for you to meet and it's some, something you have to do. I said, who, uh, another member of the walking cadaver crew? He said, no, that's the thing, he's not dead, he's just passing through. I just spoke to him there and he said he's a fan of you. I said, what's an undead man doing in the pub of the dead. He said, I haven't a clue. You just go talk to him there and I'll be back in two. So I made my way over to this man who was silently watching me. And I said, an undead man in the dead man's pub. Ooh, it's like being inside of a prophecy. He said, yeah, kind of, but it isn't really that serious. Think of it more like being in a near dead experience. See, I'm not really living, but I'm not technically dead either, at least not like these other fools. See, I'm connected to both sides. I'm still inside my mother's womb, but it's a few thousand years from now. I know, bear with me, try not to get too confused, but when you cross over dimensions, time works off other rules. I still have a bit of time here, so there's something I want to do, or something I want to offer you, and I'd advise you to think it through. I said, who are you? He said, I'm a poet from the future, and I plan on writing good stuff. Probably won't be making much money, but if I do, it'll be dumb luck. But if you lend me a helping hand, help me write some good stuff, we could tour around the country, rhyming with our hoods up. I said, what? He said, look, this is it, this is the deal. In exchange for your right to take your place in my mind, you trade me your ancient, enlightened way of phrasing to write the page. You trade me the kind of range that you gained from that higher plane, and I'll become your conduit, and you can live in Ireland again. I said, what? He said, look, this is it. This is your chance to live as a man, but I need your gift of the gab. It's a take-it-or-leave-it deal. Now, I can't make it any more simple than that. I thought, 
I don't know this fella, but it might be nice to see Ireland again. So then I said, Do you get it yet? See, so you're not looking at a human. And what happens when you broker nice deals with ancient deities? It's almost like my soul was spliced and now there's two of me. I hear it whilst alone at night, a poltergeist trapped within a wrapper where we both reside. So when I close my eyes, I can see the God that I was chosen by. Each poet hears the call, but only few are in the mold of I. Few are built to hold the rhyme. Fewer still control the rhyme and use that skill of all to build a road that's interwove with time. The road less traveled, the road that's interwove with mine. The poet's road, the only road that truly lets your soul survive. I mean, come on. I had to die and be reborn just to make it to this show tonight. You heard a Limerick accent here, but really, this was Ogma's voice. Shane, thanks so much again for your amazing performance in Dingle. I really loved the way that it felt both at the same time, like quite ancient, but also really modern and contemporary as well. And I kind of wondered what was the inspiration behind a piece that like was felt so individual and unique? Um, it came from a conversation that I had with my friend Dave. It was, I can't remember the exact spark that led to the idea, but it was something along the lines of what would the gods be like if they were alive today? How, what, what way, how would they interact with the world if they were just dropped from the god realm into this world? And um, that, was, that was one of the things that was being said during the conversation. And... Uh, I kind of, I, I can't remember what the actual process that led to me writing it, the way that it, that, that it, it, the form it took that I performed on Ireland's Edge. But that was one of the, the ideas that, that was involved in it. Um, so I wrote it as a, a much smaller version at the start because I, I didn't know where I was, I was going with it. I just knew I wanted to say something from the perspective of Agma as if he was someone in the modern day. Mm. But then it kind of started changing. I was like, what if it's me? What if it's, you know, the, then the reincarnation thing and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that was it. That was the main thing that I can remember. It's kind of a blank. You know, maybe it was, maybe Agma told me. You got a little bit of inspiration there, yeah, from above maybe or below, I'm not sure which, but yeah. I wonder, like, because you kind of are telling this, like, a, it's such a brilliant ma uh, marriage of the medium and the message, right, in the sense that you're using, like, quite a contemporary art form in terms of rap and spoken word to tell this ancient story that is about these ancient figures appearing in the modern day. And as you were doing that, like, how did you think about putting kind of the thoughts and voices of these ancient gods into like the words of the art form that you were using yeah that was tough that that actually came last okay there was there was a few versions of it before i did the one at ireland's edge there was one that i done in dick max which was the much shorter version uh, it was like a trial run and then there was another one i done 
for uh, Michael D. Higgins. Um, he came down to Limerick to give a speech. So I had expanded it a little. Then I did that version. But neither of those two had the the, the other characters in it. There was a lot of other stuff that was taking place. But uh, similar, but the characters weren't involved. And um, then I, I kind of came up with the idea for Ireland's Edge to actually make it into a full-on um, exchange between characters and, and different different personalities. So the way that I tried to do it was I imagined, again, this the similar thing. If those gods, like the down the god of the dead, how would he speak? So I was like, I thought maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's just a normal guy. Maybe he does. He's not this supernatural, all-knowing being. He's just a fella who drinks in the hall of the dead with him and the other dead people. And he 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 doesn't know. He doesn't have the answers to everything. He's just he just is in charge for for the reason that that he knows that's his existence. So he just he's just he's not talking as this big, overpowering, supernatural being. He's just. He's like, ah, well, come on, let's go to the bar, let's have a drink. I tried to keep him as normal as as I could because that way the conversation can flow. Where whereas if you're speaking to the, if you're speaking to a, a, an, om, an omnipotent, omnipotent being and you're trying to have a conversation as a normal man, you're not going to. The conversation isn't going to flow that way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's not going to be a normal chat. Yeah. No, no, he's way beyond the normal having a point like. Like when watching you do, I mean, because there are so many different voices and, you know, you're kind of between rap and spoken word and a one man sh- one man play at times in terms of trying to bring all those different characters together. It really made me wonder, because you do it so effectively, it made me wonder how you got into spoken word and rap in the first place. Um, I, the spoken word and rap, it, it, I had never, ever had any plans to do it. But um, a few years ago, I would have been living very very chaotically my life was fucking it was either going to go two ways i was either going to be killed or i was going to end up get myself locked up for a very long time and i kind of had a a moment one night where i was in home on my own and i was thinking i was thinking about my mother and my friends and family and i was like is this the like is this the way this story ends for like all the hard work that they would have put into, especially my mother like raised me on her own, and it's like, is that is is that doing her justice if I if that's how the story ends? So I was kind of trying to come up with a plan to start straightening my life out, but I had no qualifications or nothing. I couldn't like go to Australia and do a trade or something. I didn't have a trade. I had very little, um, so. I was trying to think, what could I do that I might be some way half good at and might actually be able to stick out and not, like, lose my mind doing it, like, you know, just some job that I hate or something, you know? Um, so I was like, okay, what am I good at? Telling stories. Could I be a writer? So I, I wrote I wrote a, a couple of things, and um, I wrote one one small poem I wrote it for a friend of mine who was actually in jail at the time. He he was mad in, mad gambler and he, he got these huge debts. He got himself locked up over it. Um, so I wrote this th- this thing for him, and uh, just about his life and kind of um, a bit of the spin on the gambling thing and all, kind of a philosophical thing, you know. 
And uh, when he came out, I gave it to him. And at first, he started laughing because, like, at that time, there was none of us writing fucking poems. Like, you know, it was well away from that. Like, so he laughed and then he read it. And after he read it, he's kind of a bit emotional and he says, I'm not being funny now. You, you might want to give this a bit of a go because that's actually good. So I, I took that as a bit of encouragement and um, I kept kind of writing, writing, but I was still kind of acting the bollocks a bit, being involved in things I shouldn't and whatever. I wasn't committing to it, you know. But I wrote a couple of songs then and I met, I met a fellow who had a studio. I went to the studio and um, I put out one of the songs and uh, I was outside a pub then one night in a, in a place called Carberley in Limerick and uh, a fella pulled up in a car next to me and he, he goes, Davis. I goes, what? He goes, turned up the speaker. And he goes, that's a good tune. And he, I was like, nice one. And he drove away. And I was like, people are actually driving around listening to my fucking songs. I was like, this is mad. So I took that again. Then I was like, maybe I should actually commit to doing this because um, it seems to be working somewhere. So I just isolated myself from everyone then completely just, and I mean isolated, locked myself in the house for the best part of a year, barely answered the phone, stopped hanging around with everyone, completely took myself out of the life that I was living and just committed to this writing thing because I knew this is the only way I'm going to, because it wasn't just a case of I needed to make money or something like that. I needed a, a new life. I needed yeah. to find a way to make meet new people, put myself in new situations, new day-to-day -day activities, new thought process. And I knew the only way I could actually do that was by getting good at this very fast. Because I knew no one in the, in the industry either. I had no ins or, you know. So I just had to commit to becoming as good as I could really quick. And um, I'd say, like, after a year, I kind of emerged from the cave um, as some bit of a good writer. And I had a couple of different things written that I felt were worth telling people, you know. So I told uh, Shane Serrano, a filmmaker in Limerick, about it. And he, uh, he was blown away. It was the first book of murder I did with uh, his company, Crude Films. Um, it's part of an online series, and uh, he put that out, and that was it. That was it, everyone. I just got – I was able to do what I wanted then. I was able to talk to who I wanted. I was in the circles I wanted. I was in the scenarios I needed to be in to not go back to that other shit, you know? So That's an amazing story, and it's it's also, like, it's kind of um, – I guess it's a, it's a story that really resonates with, like, the history of, of your art form as well, of, of rap and hip-hop, which is, like, the ability of – words to help people get out of that kind of difficult situation but also to transform their lives and also give voice to the places that they come from and obviously limerick has become kind of a center of rap and spoken words in ireland and i wonder you know you said that the story about writing for your friend uh, who'd been in prison and how emotional it made him even though he was initially kind of skeptical like what do you think about the power of rap and poetry to do that in ireland like is there something is there something kind of ancient, like are we reaching back to Ogma here in terms of its pull on us? But at the yeah. same time, like the Limerick hip hop and rap scene, like obviously has drawn so much from immigrant communities and different international music as well. Like how do you see the power of, of your, your art form in Ireland today? Um, I think poetry in Ireland is always going to be something 
very special. The spoken word here, like just the gift of the gab, even the expression, like there's something about it. I don't know, something about Irish people's way of, of telling stories that's just... It's different, you know. It, it 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 has it has a power of its own. When an Irish an Irish person tells a story, it, it has the potential to like think all the famous the poets we have like almost the, the most famous poets in the world. Uh, most of them come in the Western world anyway. Come, I'm I'm from Ireland, you know. Like so, I think rap still a new a new a newish thing in Ireland, still kind of in its infancy, but it's kind of getting there. Uh, there are there are certain songs in Irish rap that that would have that power, but I think more the spoken word in Ireland, spoken word performers, they're hitting it more on the head because it's like sp- spoken word has the ability to transcend generational gaps. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or whatever. It's uh, if you're t- there's no safety net with spoken word. You have to be talking sense because if you can, if you're ta- if you're not great lyricism, whatever. But if the beat is really good, people will listen to it, and they'll just they, if they enjoy the beat, they get the enjoyment of the beat. But with spoken word, there's no safety net. There's nothing to save you. You have to be making sense. You have to be appealing to people's senses. You have to be doing it in a skillful way, or very fast, the listener is gonna just nah, this isn't for me. You're, there's nothing to save you. So I think. The, the power of spoken word is it forces people to think more deeply about the things they're saying. And when you're doing that, the listener is obviously going to be going through that with you. And it's it's more inspiring. The thoughts, you're, you're thinking on a higher level because you have to be. You know, um, like there's a rapper in Limerick. He's, he's, a, he's brilliant. But uh, I won't say his name. But he said to me, one of the first things, one of the first pieces he saw that made him go, do you know what? Maybe I'll give this a crack, was that spoken word that I said, the first one I done. When he saw that, he said, if he can do that, I can do it. Do you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, through me doing, telling you the story I told you there about get, getting to that moment where I finally put something out that I think is good, it gets to him. And then he... It's like the chain, you know, the, yeah. it's the chain reaction. So he, you can be guaranteed, is doing stuff now that other fellas are looking at going, I can do it. You know, it's inspiring when someone does a good spoken word. I really enjoyed watching your piece live in Dingle. I'm so excited to see what you produce next, especially when we're finally able to go and see live performances in real life again. So Shane, thank you so much for joining us. And we're definitely going to be following all of your future work. And thank Thanks, you so bro. much again for your performance in Nick. Thanks, brother. Take it easy. Thank you so much to Shane and Felicia for their amazing performances in Dingle and for sharing their thoughts with me. On our next episode, Moran Kelleher speaks with Stephen Kinsella, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick, about Ireland's place in the world's turbulent political economy. When I look around, what I'm surprised by, shocked by, somewhat actually angered by, is how we tend to amplify the minutiae. You know, this guy's tweet, you know, that that lady's Instagram, this kind of stuff. To make sure that you don't miss that or any of our future episodes, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a South Wind Blows production, and I'm Christopher Kassan. Thank you for joining us, and I look forward to your company next time on Ireland's Edge.